It's the Loose Filter Podcast, and this is your host, Stuart Sims. In this episode, uh, Lisette, Dave, and I examine the idea that challenging music is worth the effort. Um, as uh, uh, musicians, trained musicians, working musicians ourselves, we often work with and listen to and think about music that a lot of people would find challenging or even alienating because it is uh, made up of sounds that are unfamiliar or strange to them or is organized by ideas that they're not familiar with or may have particular expressive goals that they've never encountered before or a lot of other reasons. Um, and because a lot of people listen to music for um, the value and the pleasure of the experience of listening to it, for the feeling that you get when you listen to music, um, a lot of times we avoid or shy away from listening experiences that are challenging because we so often want them to be uh, comforting or, or fun or, or energizing or what have you. So we look at three pieces of music in particular, uh, and The Mountains Rising Nowhere by Joseph Schwantner, uh, another piece called Sinfonia by Luciano Berrio, and a third piece called Music for 18 Musicians by Steve Reich. I hope you enjoy this episode. As always, you can find us online at loosefilter.com, or you can find our podcast archive at soundcloud.com slash loosefilter. And you can subscribe either through the website or on iTunes. If you want to give us a shout, our uh, email address is loosefilter at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy this episode. So do we want just talking about the episode to be the beginning of the episode? I think this is the beginning of the episode. I think this just happened. This just, it started. This is what happens when you leave me in charge of the laptop. <laughs> this is Dave's recording. Everything's different now. Uh, so for this episode, like we talked about, did we decide on a word? Other word? Challenging. Like challenging. Challenging. I think challenging is better. So we, yeah. we decided on, is challenging music worth it? And this is a topic that I've wanted to do for a while because, um, you know, most of the music that everybody listens to is... A lot the same in terms of its structure, like the ideas that inform it, right? It's in a strophic form, like a song. There are verses and a chorus. And so they're all in this kind of similar mode of construction, and they're similar ideas that people are playing with. So I feel like a lot of the music that people listen to is kind of, in that sense, on a narrow bandwidth, mm -hmm. you know, compared to the ideas that are out there that that you know the kind of musical art that people have not made to up. denigrate the strophic form not but at it's, all. it's not it is at the all. Same. it's a form that everybody's familiar with like from childhood so it doesn't really ask us to figure it out i guess and well, it's relatively easy to use considering all the repetition yeah right and it's easy it's easy to speak to lots of people it's easy to when you're especially a culture that's always oriented to the new new product new product new product it's it's if you're going to get people listening to new music it's got to be like music can't be too different or it alienates people right. you know yeah so so yeah it's it makes sense that that's our vernacular and, and music. it's a form that has built in you know you want a certain amount of repetition you want a certain amount of new material right. and it's it's there you know but there are of course other not only other kinds of musical ideas but other kinds of experiences 
other kinds of ways to listen to music and other kinds of experiences to be had other than I listen to it in, for enjoyment or I listen to it because it makes me feel good or sad or whatever, you know, it, because it makes me feel. But there's all kinds of uh, other experiences out there. And, you know, when, when you try to get people to listen to music that is unfamiliar to them in a fundamental way and that is maybe complex in some way, uh, like there's a visceral reaction. People don't like it. It confuses them. It causes cognitive dissonance, which is physically unpleasant. So, so yeah, that was my question that I kind of wanted to explore and maybe, you know, over multiple episodes is challenging music worth it? Like, is it worth it to have to do a little bit of work to get different kinds of music to go the listener to bring something to to, to the table as well as the producer? Yeah, exactly. And to go to listen to music that maybe conceptually works differently than you're used to or the literal sounds themselves are alien to you or weird. It pushes you to, to you. think while you listen. You can't be 100% passive. Right. And believe me, again, like Dave said, not to denigrate anything, anybody's uh, any kind of music. There's wonderful music. of If there's a kind of music, there's great kinds of it and terrible kinds and there's, of it. And there is challenging music that exists in those strophic forms that we were exactly. talking about. Not to like say that that's not possible right. and I don't or mean, even common. I don't mean to imply a hierarchy that a challenging experience or an active listening experience is better than a passive. There, I do a lot of passive listening myself in my life day to day and love it and it's real valuable. But uh, I wanted to look at this other kind because it's neglected. I think, and, and, and there's a lot of great listening experiences that um, are out there waiting for people. Well, there's who may like be a, a certain curious. depth of experience that you get when you are really active in the process of experiencing um, when, when you aren't passive, as enjoyable as that passivity can sometimes be. Like when you get to really understand a music and its roots and kind of go along for the ride and be able to be attuned to what's happening and how it develops it's kind of satisfying in a way that you don't really get with that shallow listening yeah and and it's it's an opportunity to do nothing but listen which a lot of our music listening time these uh for, for most it of us it's not really our primary activity at the time yeah, and it's like that's a sense of immersion that's a thing to do yeah <laughs> for fun so I picked uh, three pieces for us to um, uh, share with our listeners, and there are three pieces that probably most of uh, those of you listening aren't familiar with or may not even know. They were all written within uh, a nine-year span between 1968 and 1977. And the first piece is by the American composer Joseph Schwantner. The title is And the Mountains Rising Nowhere. Composed in 1977 for wind instruments, percussion, and piano. Uh, not like a piano concerto, but the piano is very prominent and is a solo instrument in the piece. So it's a sound world that is uh, really colorful and really percussive because the percussion section is very large and has a huge variety of instruments. And of course, the piano is a percussion instrument, ultimately. Um, um, and it's one of my favorite all-time pieces of music. Uh, uh, it's based on a poem by the poet uh, Carol Adler, which is just a few lines, and it's illustrating very vividly scenes in nature, things you would see. And that's where the phrase is, uh, an afternoon sun blanked by rain and the mountains rising nowhere. So the title comes out of a line of the poem. And uh, the first clip that I wanted to share is uh, uh, just presents kind of some of the sound world that makes up the piece. It's a very unique sound world 
that Schwantner has. I don't know of any other music of any kind that sounds like the music that he creates. And um, you'll hear the piano playing like some main ideas, these upward like arpeggiated chords. There's just these patterns that kind of keep come, happening over and over again. That's a main idea in the piece. And you'll hear like singing, the players in the ensemble sing. You'll hear them bend pitches really slowly. So he has a really malleable sense of frequency. It's not limited by pitch divisions, notes. So the singers uh, will bend pitch and you'll hear the trombones bend pitch very slowly. And just this whole ethereal sound world is real characteristic. Yeah, it's kind of atmospheric. Yeah, yeah. So this is the first clip from And the Mountains Rising Nowhere. One of the things I think that is hard uh, to to sort of listen to or get about that if you're not familiar with that kind of music is that right at that point in the piece, and this is very early in the piece, uh, it's music of stasis. It's actually not really moving forward in time. There aren't events. You're not. You're there's not, no beat to hold on to. There's no beat. There's no melody. To hold, so, so you know, most of our orienting features of music are not there. Feel but that, that kind of gives you some time to just listen well, to the sound. Well, if you know that, that's my point. So you can't listen to it expecting it to move forward. You have to listen to it like you're sitting in a garden or you're in a planetarium or an IMAX and this is all happening around you, you know? There's all this activity, but you are stationary. And the whole piece, like, alternates between these sections of stasis and motion. So what, what exactly regularly. are we listening to? What are, the, what are the, the, the held notes there? What are we listening to? You, I know you've conducted this. So. Yeah, the, so this is my recording. Actually, all of these examples are taken from a performance I did. <laughs> Well, it sounds right. This is the way the piece is supposed to sound. Yes, I do know this piece intimately well because I've, I've performed it myself. But um, the sounds that you're hearing, man, I don't remember all that are playing there. But you've got some woodwind sustaining quietly. You've got bowed percussion. You've got people singing is the biggest thing that's sustaining. Mm-hmm. More than you think because you don't hear them real distinctly. Oh, some, some choral aspects. That's, uh, oh, absolutely. That, he that's, uses that's singing. Cool. uses whistling, too. They, the whistlers come in, too. Just, just want to say. Uh, both this and our third piece have singing. Oh, uh, yeah. But what's interesting about him is they treat the singing in, in the Schwantner that we're listening to now. They're literally the it's the instrumentalist singing. And then in our, our third piece, the uh, they're act they're singers, you know, specialized vocalists, but they're treated as members of the instrumental ensemble. It's almost like the voice is an instrument. <gasps> oh, my God. Don't bring your political agenda okay, to our podcast sorry. episode. So anyway, I think that that's the thing that's challenging about um, us, like symphonic music or composed music for a lot of people is the time scale it happens on is is a lot broader. broader. Yeah. And so you have to be patient. 
it it takes a long time for the ideas to kind of be spun out. Well, to it's develop. just but there's there's at the same time like for, for me there's there's so much interesting to just like let happen there. Like because because you know uh, we've got a group of of uh, frequencies sliding in and you can just like really enjoy that heterodyne as it slowly comes into being like in tune. Um, and it gives you a lot of time to do that. Especially well, does, on the trombone glissando. Yeah, 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 it does so direct your that. attention. I mean, for as, as kind of open as it does feel, you do feel that sense of focus when it does want you to listen to something. It's pretty clear. Right. He does point like, look over there. Yeah. Listen over there. No, listen over there. Um, uh, <laughs> he sounds like a nice guy. And as as far as like uh, uh, the other idea that it's important to kind of latch onto in this first part of the piece, I think is that the all the ideas are emerging from the piano. Yeah. And and you could hear it start to happen at the end of that clip. So listeners, if you actually you jump back and listen to it again, you'll notice that like toward the end of it, the the piano will play one of those upward gestures and then somebody else will develop it directly. You'll hear the percussion kind of echo it. And as the piece develops, like that's the process compositionally, that's the development. These gestures that first appeared in the piano start to get, uh, uh, you know, colored and expanded and, and um, uh, you know, much bigger and more active with all the other instruments taking yeah, them I up. haven't listened to this whole thing in a really long time, and I only have, like, a couple times in my lifetime, but uh, I kind of felt like all the musical material is, is kind of laid out right there on the piano right in front of you, and then, and then you get to listen to... What, what he does with, with that it. Yeah. Oh, I but think like, that's he, true. Yeah, All the information like, you need is kind of like right there at the start. And you and it goes like, through like different kinds of lenses. So it kind of gets like twisted with and messed with, but in like cool ways. And he does these like brilliant transformations. I mean, he, 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 the colors that he creates out of the instruments that are available to him are just like astonishing. So it's sort of a timbral astonishing. piece. Huh? It's sort of a timbral piece. That thing. is a big ass. <laughs> in fact, in the next excerpt, you will hear something that he does a lot in the piece, which are timbral shifts or timbral modulations. So, for instance, one instrument sound will start an idea and they'll hold a note and that note will get taken over by a different sound that's slightly different. So he just modulates the timbre and then he continues the idea with the new instrument and then it's handed off to somebody else. But they're all these seamless, like, blending colors, you know? And and, and just to clear terror timbre is the, the quality, the of, quality the of the sound yeah yeah sorry i don't I, I, yeah i don't mean to drop the harmonic content <laughs> yeah the overtones in relation to the fundamental oh, God. as we push up our glasses <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's, it's too but it's what to things draw. sound like it's it's what things sound like the literal quality of their sound so he does this a lot and the other thing to listen to in this next clip is you're going to hear these stacked chords that pyramid up that the winds play really powerfully, but that's just like a blown up version of what we heard the piano do in a more intimate fashion in the first clip. So this is the second clip from the piece.
awesome. But familiar, right? Yeah, at the same time. I feel like I already knew that music. Uncomfortably intense, but like exciting. It's like I, I want to be watching a movie. <laughs> Something exciting just happened. It's ferociously difficult to play, too. It, is, it sounds that way. That's I should give uh, uh, absolutely credit to the fine musicians, student musicians. Uh, this is when a few years ago when I was in grad school at Arizona State at the School of Music there. These are the players in the... the I bet all of their there. eyes were just like glued to their music stands and just sweat dripping down the sides of their faces. Well, it's one of those pieces that, you know, you can't like pass it out and read it. <laughs> You have to prepare it and talk about it. And, you know, I mean, it, it takes some getting into conceptually for the performers. Same with music as well as the listeners. Oh, yeah. Same thing with our third example uh, of the episode. But it's just technically incredibly demanding. So the rehearsals were sort of like, uh, OK, sure. A new piece. It's different. Let's do it. Well, what is what this is? What is the OK? That was pretty cool. What? All right, all right, all right. And then by the time it started to come together as a piece and they started understanding how it all worked, they were totally... I mean, it's, you know, they... Uh, the piece kind of speaks for itself. Didn't didn't need me to sell it. Right, right. It just needed me to kind of turn the focus knob a little bit and get it presented um, and maybe But there are definitely a lot but, of, like, foreign sounds and ideas in terms of our traditional concepts of music. Oh, yeah. This as is, interesting as the sounds are. This was this next uh, little short clip I wanted to play is one of my favorite moments in all of composed music. Well, the next two really, but the next one for sure. That's a bold statement. That is a bold statement, but I'll back it up. Right. He plays a, uh, a series of 12 notes and uh, the piano just plays them very dry. No real rhythm to it, just like a, a steady stream of notes. And so the piano cycles through this pattern. Over and over again, these twelve notes. Like a tone type thing. It's not quite a tone, but but yeah, similar idea, sort of. But it's just it's just this pattern. And there's one flute player who's playing the same thing the piano is playing, also pretty dry. Now there are six flute players total, and each one has their own part distinct from the others. Flute players two through six are each playing and sustaining one note out of the pattern in turn. So player two plays the first note, player three plays the second note, player four plays the fifth note. So they're just maintaining these clusters that are just ever-changing. And then when it comes back around to the eighth note and you need another player, player one plays that note. So player one's playing every fifth note, basically, of this pattern. Player two is playing every fifth note but shifted over one from player, the first player, and so on. So they each have a note in succession. And so what it ends up sounding like, because they each hold their one note. It's like an extension of the decay. It's an extension of the decay. It's creating sustain, but it's creating this technicolor sustain. Yeah. Because it's all individual players on wind instruments doing it. And it makes it sound like, to me, raindrops hitting a puddle. And you're hearing the, you know, the ripples or the the sustain on the colors uh, going outward. But it's just magical when you understand that that's how the sound happened. And then he takes that thing where the everybody has one note in turn, and he has he blows it up to the whole ensemble, which is shockingly difficult. But I think that's the second time you use the word shockingly. I guess it's a shocking piece, uh, but but incredibly effective. So this is this is that little uh, chunk of the music. 
So that's pretty cool, right? Oh yeah, dude. That yeah, it's just it's an exciting piece. I feel like there's so many colors, and it just makes me want to keep listening. And I, I think that since sort of the topic of this is is like making challenge, making the most out of challenging music, it's it's sort of important to note here that like there's actually a fairly simple amount of music musical material here, and the interest is created through the channel changes, which are really easy to perceive. Like you don't, it doesn't say require... that again. Say that again more slowly. I am a fast talking. Uh, anyway, basically, I, I what I'm getting out of this is is that there's actually a, a a pretty simple amount of musical material here. It's not like I have to know the score of this piece to get it, but the interest is provided by the timbral shifts, which are ob- immediately apparent to anybody with ears. So it, I say, well, this might be um, you know challenging. It's very approachable. I yeah, guess. and I guess that would kind of be the like if the episode has a thesis, that would be it. It it's. It, it is challenging, but mostly because it's unfamiliar and it's unfamiliar because it kind of makes you listen a little differently well, than I think you normally the har- listen. The harmonic language is pretty unfamiliar and unusual. And we usually associate a lot of those sounds with things that make us uncomfortable, like moments in horror movies where it's like you're supposed to feel like those cluster chords and those dissonances. Um, and this uses those kind of dissonances in a different kind of way than what we're usually used to in, in our culture. Um, uh, and so that just takes some adjusting and getting used to. And just rhythmically, I mean, most of our music is incredibly beat-oriented or rhythmically oriented. And not having any material like that to truly feel like you can hang on to. Not that there aren't rhythmic aspects. I mean, it's a very rhythmic piece. Um, but that is also a little uncomfortable for people. Yeah, I agree. I think the experience of the piece live, the the hard part is getting people into the room. If you get them in the room and they hear the piece live, it's, you know, Schwantner did uh, all the work, really. I yeah, mean, as I mentioned. Well, no, the performers have to work pretty hard, but but creatively it's all there. You don't have to sell it beyond just, just really drawing attention to it and getting people to listen. Yeah, I the think. piece speaks for itself, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, one thing that was interesting that uh, about that section, it reminded me, is I did do uh, a little bit of a cheat in the concert. And if this episode somehow finds its way to Professor Schwantner's ears, I hope he's not mad about it or thinks that I broke the rules or something. But as I was studying the score, like I, it just occurred to me that the ideal aural viewpoint for this piece, um, because Dave, like you mentioned, all, all the materials right there in the piano at the beginning of the piece, all those gestures, that's that's the information you need for the piece in terms of what's the subject matter yeah, of like this Like the, the brass essay. parts that we heard on the last um, little, little clip were derived straight out of the piano part. and Yeah, yeah and this is the quote I heard uh, Schwantner about this piece from Schwantner is the piano's the spine of the piece. And I, it just occurred to me that he was probably also... Because his pedaling on the piano part, when you put down the sustain pedal and let the strings on the piano just, you know, ring freely. Sympathetically resonate. Yeah, is very specific. And so he clearly wants the loud sounds from the wind instruments and the percussion to make the piano resonate a little bit. That's part of what he wants in the piece. And it occurred to me that the perfect place to listen to a performance of this piece would be lying underneath the piano. 
so that you heard the piano as kind of the focus of the sound world, but also all that resonance. So what I did in the concert was we sort of passively amplified the soundboard, the underside mm-hmm. of the piano, and put it into the mix of the ensemble because you can't get your whole audience on stage under the, the piano. piano. That'd be kind of cool. Unless you have a really, really small audience, uh, which is not what you're going which for. Which is not what you're going for. Or a really big like piano. Really, Think big, guys. Really, Come really on. Really big piano. We did. We went the wrong way on that, Come didn't on. we? Yeah, giant piano concert. But, uh, uh, and it works. Like, you can hear it in the recording, and, and that resonance is there, and it's... Uh, uh, it's just the piece is such a super vivid experience. Okay, one last clip from this piece before we go on, uh, if y'all will indulge me. I suppose just to so. show that the whole piece isn't kind of esoteric with the with the harmonic vocabulary, the pitches we've been hearing, kind of dissonant and uh, sometimes aggressive and angular. This is in the middle of the piece. It's this moment that emerges, this huge, powerful chorale, this brass chorale that is gorgeous and moving that sort of uh, comes apart at the seams like its majesty and awesomeness is too hard to contain and it blows up into this really primitive uh, uh, primal just uh, adrenaline driven drum beat with a crazy 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 wind riding on top of it so this is in the heart of the piece and uh uh Shows the piece has both, uh, uh, I think, finesse and and beauty as well as raw. Stuart hates this piece. Power. Is what he's trying to say. Yeah, man, I love this piece. Check out this last clip. Somehow, some way, I think I just grew a couple hairs on my chest. <laughs> That's visceral music, right there, yeah. right? Yeah, good, good call on the miking the uh, piano resonance. That's that does that hangs in. Doesn't the it? Air yeah, line. I was excited. I'd actually been well wondering what that sound was in in listening to this recording. And okay, yeah, that's my for any conductors who are listening. That's my secret cheat on this piece. <laughs> Secret sauce. Uh, Everyone's going to tell. You're going to be in big trouble. And I tell you, after listening to that excerpt again, um, man, I just got to thank those players who were at ASU at that time. And, of course, my teacher, Gary Hill, who is their primary conductor and loaned me this ensemble to to do this performance. Um, Man, those were some great players. They were just playing the crap out of that music. It was so fun to work with them. So what are we listening to next here? 
Uh, well, I thought we'd go super complicated. Super and, complicated. And then we would go... Because that wasn't... That wasn't... Well, that may be challenging. That wasn't terribly complicated. Not complex. Yeah, yeah. not terribly complex, I don't think, um, from a listener's perspective anyway. Uh, but this next piece is complicated and well, complex. Well, if you thought it was complicated, now you're now gonna you're going to hear really yeah. Now you're going to hear really complicated. Okay. Um, for everybody, for the for the players, for the singers, for the listeners, for anyone involved in this piece, this next piece is complex music, and this is the Italian composer Luciano Berio. A wizard's name, right? If there was a real <laughs> the, life the, wizard, he's a it wizard would be him. and a composer. He's a very famous be, wizard. Okay. Um, I keep, cool. a, I, I do keep adding this to the Wikipedia entry, you know, but they keep deleting it. They don't what believe the it. What the heck, man? But he's definitely a really was. Uh, unfortunately, I should say, he passed away a few years ago. Uh, brilliant composer, very influential. But this piece of his, the Sinfonia, probably his most performed, listened to, studied work. Uh, which literally means symphony. And uh, it's a five-movement mo- piece. It's written for strings, wind instruments, lots of percussion, and eight amplified sing- singers. Woo. Uh, and we're going to listen to a little bit from the third movement, just to, to take a, a, a small piece of this of this piece. Because you could do, we could probably do a whole podcast with a few dozen episodes just on this piece of music. There's that much there uh, uh, that he gives you. But this middle movement of five is uh, based on two pillars. And it's the scherzo from Gustav Mahler's Second Symphony. Famous Viennese composer Gustav Mahler. And uh, Beckett's novel, um, which whose name is gone right out of my head, Unnoticed. The Unnoticed, I think is the name of it. Um, I, I did actually do my, my homework. The unnameable, not the unnoticed. You can tell I'm a Beckett scholar. I have not read. It's from his trilogy of novels, very famous um, and substantial uh, set of uh, novels, literary novels that I clearly haven't read. But the text, a lot of the text that he uses is from Beckett. Uh, and which is weird. You're thinking, wait, I thought this was an orchestra piece. Yeah, the, but the singers actually talk. They say things. And... Um, so first, first we should listen to a little bit of Mahler, just because this is to give the, it some context. Yeah, this is the shell of the. This is the foundation of the music. So if we're talking about music by Berio, why listen to music by Mahler? That's a good question. It's I wanted to put it in everybody's ears. So when we play the next clip from the beginning of this third movement of uh, Sinfonia, uh, they will hear, I hope, that Berio kind of scooped out some of the guts of the Mahler and dropped his music into it. And so you'll hear kind of as a, a foundation of a lot of very unexpected sounds, you'll hear that Mahler and that rolling melody 
will keep popping up in different spots. So I just wanted to put that in everybody's ear so that when we play this clip from the beginning of the we'll have a the Barrio movement, you'll have something to hold on to. And that's, I think, all you can really say to set up a clip like this. Let's listen to Barrio. This is the third movement of Sinfonia. <laughs> delightful absurdity it's like alice falling down the hole and looking at all these trippy things as she falls and tumbles it i mean i i think it's fun i don't think it's supposed to be taken very seriously i yeah i don't i i think it's certainly written with a very sense of good humor and a little bit tongue-in-cheek to me it always sounds like like at first, I kind of took it as this is a little bit psychedelic, maybe, or or, or certainly surreal. Um, but uh, it it like after I listened to it a little more, I came to feel like I was inside the head of somebody who was at a concert where they were playing Mahler's Second mm-hmm. Symphony, and their mind was wandering. The scherzo is about halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've been listening to a lot of music. Maybe you're tired. You had too many carbs at dinner. A little too much to drink. You're zoning out. Your mind starts to wander, and you're thinking about that Beckett novel you've been reading. So these quotes keep occurring to you <laughs> from what you've been reading uh, earlier in the day, maybe. And all so, these... are, are those various, various quotes out of context, just like kind of pastiche? Not the... not just from from the Beckett, from some right, other writings right. too. So but those primarily. are just like yeah, okay. Yeah. And there's there's I mean, if you if you really want to dig deeper, there there. He uh, Barrio offers so much in this piece. It'll go as deep as you want to go. I was gonna say that's the first time I ever heard that. So yeah. I just and I immediately just feel like I need to that one listening. I'm not going to really oh quite not at get all that. not There's at all. There's so much material. It's, there. I, would, I did get the Mahler. I would I, say right. I had that right. to hang on to. I would say well, on but, on one listening one listen like Lissette said the piece is fun. It's absurd and wacky and and interesting and and unexpected. You know, but um, if you if you are really intrigued by it and you want to go deeper, it'll go as far as you want to go. It is a substantial work of music because the other music that you heard, the kind of big that sounded like composed gestures that would intrude, mm-hmm. were from other pieces. There are quotes yeah. like from Daphnis and Chloe, Ravel and Lavaltz also, and from uh, 
La Mer. There's some Stravinsky Rite of Spring in there. So I always feel like I'm inside my guy's head, right? Didn't you say there was some Strauss, some Rosenkavalier in there too? Um, Yeah, I'm not, well, we didn't hear any of it. We were hearing more Daphnis and Chloe. But yeah, there are all kinds of quotes that that happen. And I feel like you're, you're in the guy's head and he hears something in the Mahler and that makes him think of something else. That, you know, just musical associations. And so you're hearing his unconscious or his, his inner whatever uh, going. And it's, you know, it's crazy. The whole movement just unfolds that way. So here's the, we're only going to play uh, one other clip, but it'll be a, another substantial one. This is toward the end of the movement when this process is really reaching um, uh, a fever pitch. And there's some, some pretty cool stuff that happens here. So this is toward the end of the same movement. And after each group disintegration, the name of Mayakovsky hangs in the clean air. music i mean the value that i find in it i mean on the surface level i think is its delightful absurdity as lisette put it uh because it is so completely original there is no other music i mean even though he's quoting all kinds of other music Mm -hmm. there's no other music that sounds like this music sounds and it's a and because of it and and there there's no other music that's quite conceptually put together like this music is like this collage you know it's that thing again where you're in the center and this music's happening all around you one thing i like about it is i can't really tell right at first if it's done live like all of these musicians are doing this live or if this was kind of put together piece by piece recorded I mean, I kind of like that obscurity, right? And it's it's a it's one hundred percent live. You go to the concert yeah, hall; that's exactly what you're hearing. Yeah, but it doesn't. It, it somewhat doesn't sound that way. It I sounds know. like you just had a bunch of recordings that you put together in a lot of just weird. It does sound kind of like a music concrete piece. Yeah, yeah just sort of a, a, a collage, a yeah. taped collage. Uh, recorded Except it's collage. not taped. Except it's not recorded at all. People are doing it. Uh, the, the only electricity uh, that I'm aware of in the piece are the amplification of the singers so that they can not only speak, but can do all kinds of other vocal effects that he has them do. And they can you know, be heard alongside this giant orchestra that uh, is also playing the rest of the piece. But it also, for me, it offers a like a musical experience that really takes me out of myself. This, it's such an alien, weird planet to visit when you listen to this piece um, that, you know, I'm not thinking about me or my feelings or like I'm just I'm out of myself. I'm in this piece of music. It really takes me over kind of completely. And I like that a lot. That's very therapeutic to me in 
almost meditative. Well, I find it unusual that a lot of people are willing to do that with things like movies or sometimes books or things like that. But a lot, of, I find people are more resistant to these kinds of experiences with music, unfamiliar music, which I, is kind of a bummer because there's a lot of, as we're showing, hopefully, some interesting music. Right, and that's part of the impetus for an episode like this is is not just to say specifically, hey, here are some pieces of music that are interesting and cool and you might enjoy getting to know, but to say that, like you said, I think if you're listening goals, the things that you get out of music, that you go to music for, stay the same over the course of your life, then you're missing out on, you know, we've, humans have music as long as we've been humans, as far probably as we longer. can tell, probably longer. So it's it's not only ubiquitous, uh, it's seems to be innate. So there's something about our organisms that need to music, that like musicking, that uh, find it to be fundamental. So it, it kind of makes me sad, I think, that so many people have just this sort of narrow band of the spectrum that they're locked into and they love it. And their, their, their experience is deep, uh, uh, within that. But, but like something like this piece, the Barrio offers such a different kind of experience and really takes you to different kind of places internally than a lot of other music does. Yeah. Um, but I think also it's not, it's not the complexity of it that necessarily does that. I think it's, it's the, uh, the ideas that are unusual or push you maybe outside of a comfort zone. Um, because I do think to transition into our third piece, Music for 18 Musicians by Steve Reich is not necessarily complex in terms yeah, of... Pretty simple music, yeah, actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's you can hang on to it, I think, a lot more easily than these other pieces. It's a more approachable piece. Um, but it has its own set of challenges, and it does have its own... Um, threads that if you know how to follow make the experience of it more satisfying yeah um, well i i, I kind of feel like uh i have a couple things to say about 18 but like in, in what you were talking about like uh those experiences that get you out of your head that are available to you, i think sort of one difference between 18 and, and what we we're just listening to is that 18 doesn't ask anything of the listener but its attention uh like but your attention. You don't yeah. require, uh, like, like I, I kind of feel like that Barrio required a lot of context for yeah, you to that have. that Barrio is definitely embedded in its culture. And if you're not part way. of that culture, it's going to seem far more alien than I think it was probably intended to. Whereas with 18, I, I think that's no fair, matter, yeah. like, if you're a human being, you kind of understand these sounds. And all all you need to bring to the table is is some open ears and a chunk of time, you know, free hour there. So, so let's just listen to just the beginning of Music for 18 Musicians. How does this idea start? Thank you. 
So I kind of feel like this music is is music of maximum utility, um, because this is <laughs> it's 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 got a lot of depth without being terribly com. It, it doesn't hide anything from you. There, nothing's obscured. You get an opportunity to listen to everything that's happening here, and you don't need a lot of context. You don't need a lot of like education on how to listen to this. You just let it happen, and it gives you time to enjoy all these sounds that are occurring and it can be both a and really deep introspective listening experience and it's also fantastic background music like a that's great pop my, album that's my you can favorite use it for everything it. so it's like and i just uh like i i love this because it changed the way i thought about well i mean it's, it just is so much more native to me it's it's like and i heard it's like oh you can compose music like this you know that doesn't have you don't have to have some kind of hidden compositional element to make it well it to give like, it the- like rice Rice, Reich, 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 the composer said the use of hidden structural devices in music never appealed to him. Yeah, and and it gives you time, and and so everybody can enjoy this at every level, and and it can be this is great for music when you're driving. Like it, it's just it's got every utility you want music to be. Well, and that's it. it. It's it. It makes a great case for one of the basic assertions of musical minimalism as a style which is what this is, if you don't know this piece or aren't familiar with this style, um, that even when you use the smallest amount of material possible and slow down the rate of change radically so that it really is music in slow motion, despite the fact that it's going... that it's pulsed But the pulse is actually like slower than that. Yeah, but that it's kinetic. Uh-huh. It's rate of change well, actually, is really slow. Well, actually, the pulse isn't that slow. It's one, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. So but then there's a macro. Does, but I, macro I, I feel the macro. I'm just saying, like, technically, actually, the pulse does move pretty quick through it. It's okay, just but a lot this, is a, this is a specialist No, this tangent. is the argument we should focus on. Right? Uh, <laughs> this is all we should talk about for the next hour. Um, but but the, the, the assertion of minimalism is that even when you radically reduce the amount of stuff and enlarge the rate of change. Just like Dave said, it's still way more than interesting enough to keep you listening and to give you a meaningful experience listening to it. And it rewards repeated listenings. Like it's different each time you listen to it. I think what can be tough about listening to, especially Reich's music is that it's process oriented. So you have to understand the process that's going on in the music even though it's unfolding in slow motion so that you know what's there, so that you're following the story, the thread of the mm-hmm. story, if you will. And so what we just heard in, in 18 is the, um, it functions like an exposition. It says, here are the ideas. It's just 11 chords in a row. And they're all, like you just heard, just pulsed through. So the ensemble just sort of sits on a chord for a little while. Then they play the next chord. Then they play the next chord. So you hear all of them. And then each of the next sections of the piece uh, are variations. Each chord gets its own variation. A couple of them get pairs. Two of them, I think, get pairs of variations. Even though it's it's a pretty straightforward setup in terms of what the initial idea is, um, I, I think even though it definitely does fit its description of minimalism, uh, it, it's still each variation is so, I I think unique and 
I think he paints these really beautiful images with the variations. Um, we should listen to to one of the first variations. Uh, each chord change is preceded by the the um, little pulsations on the bass clarinet, that da, 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 and then you know when you're coming into a chord. And then for each one of those, uh, each each uh, one of those, you get like a different composite rhythm that's then played with on all the. Uh, what do you mean composite rhythm? Well, there's like an overarching beat that's very different for each one of the sections, um, and there's little like interspersed. There's smaller rhythms that each instrument is playing, but. There's an overarching composite rhythm that is uh, unique to each one of the sections that is just grooved on, and that's very enjoyable to listen to. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I love about it is that I've always felt like it's choose-your-own-adventure music, because you can listen to it however... It's not music that tells you how you have to listen to it, right? If I write a song, it's going to have a melody, and that's telling you how to listen to it. It's telling you that the melody is the most important thing because that's how those musical ideas are organized. But you can latch onto a lot of different ideas here and really kind of ride with them for a while and then switch exactly. onto yeah. a and different if, if, line or You can or explore. Thread. You, can, you can swim around. Yeah, and if I want to feel it as do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, I can feel that. If I want to feel boom, boom. Boom. I can feel the slower groove. The I can feel the faster pulse. Or if I want to you know? groove on the, the melodic parts that are actually sort of not the pulsers, but the ones that are playing the material of the variation that are kind of jamming together. If I want to just like sort of jam with those sounds, if I want to listen to them all at once, yeah. it lets and, me And that's that. how it's, like I said, it's different every time you listen to it because you get to latch on to different things and you can just swim around and all these things that are happening. But there is that... Each each uh, section has its, has its overarching flavor that each and, and instrument's part of. Yeah, yeah, and I love that you can just kind of fall into the groove uh, and feel of it. And even though it does take patience to see each idea realized, and a lot of listeners have a hard time with that, particularly in minimalism, just really having that patience to let each idea breathe and and, and come come out over time and really feel each addition and how it adds to the phrasing and. Um, it does require that patience that the but the groove of it to me is still so strong and kind of comforts me and eases me through that and and it doesn't feel like a a, a negative patience yeah and, and even the patience that it does require if you don't have it it's still a beautiful thing to have happening like in yeah, your ears even if like you it stop doesn't paying attention and be... let your mind wander it's pretty groovy music yeah to it think doesn't to. need your attention like some of the other examples yeah. we've had and if you stop listening for 10 minutes and then start paying attention you're not lost yeah it's not like you missed a chapter and somebody's dead and there's a new character on stage and you're like I okay clearly I should have been listening yeah you know it's it lets you come in and out of the room it lets you you know or if you want to sit there and give it 100% of your attention for the whole length it'll also reward uh, reward that you know 
Reich compared it to listening to a piece like this, watching like a process unfold, like sitting at the beach and letting the tide bury your feet in sand gradually or pulling a swing and letting it go and just watching it as a pendulum as it comes to rest. So anytime or watching the sunset, just watching a slow process, process unfold, there's a particular kind of serenity and calm I mean, there's a reason people like watching sunsets. They're beautiful, but also just sitting there and being quiet and watching something slow happen. Well, there is something definitely soothing about this piece. Yeah, it kind of calms you down. And what something I find when I invest in a listen to a piece like music for 18 musicians is there is a, a quieting of the of me. Like like my my thoughts and my voice inside my head, my my inner talker. Mm-hmm is is quieted my ego is quieted and i stop thinking about me i stop thinking about where i am i stop thinking about the kind of day i've had i stop thinking about anything except getting lost in the flow of this process as these variations just you know they take one idea like dot and they chew on that for like three minutes. It's in a way yeah. meditative, and I like exactly. that about it. Yeah, is that how is it now? You're you're singing on a performance of this right yeah, now. Yeah, so we're actually we're rehearsing it. We have a rehearsal tomorrow, and we're performing next month. It's if anybody's uh, listening, the webcast is going to be on April twenty fourth. Just go to the CSU Stanislaus uh, Music Department webpage. We're webcasting that performance. Is it like that when you're performing it? Are you able to? get lost in the flow of the thing? Are you like, you know, <laughs> um, oh, well, locked okay. in and you're performing? Yeah. Well, it's when, for everybody but you. Well, okay, so I am afforded the luxury as one of the singers. I am not one of those who is pulsing the majority of the time um, that there are moments in the piece where I get to just enjoy what's going on around me. Um, and when you are in sections where you definitely have a repeated groove that you can kind of just latch onto and repeat and um, kind of play with, those are the moments where where you really do get to enjoy it. But um, the the focus that it takes to recognize each cue and the eye contact and the knowing what's happening when it's happening and knowing which lines to listen to for what kinds of cues and things like that. It is as a performer, you do have to be very awake and engaged. You can't just kind of be passive. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, but well, I mean, it is fortunately too because it's such an incredible piece. It's fun to follow each of those lines, and being a part of it in any way is just extremely exciting. Let's listen to another one of the variations. I, so this will be a little further in because the piece. they do they do even though it has that continual idea, it, they do change pretty radically. Thank you. 
think one of the really particularly cool things about that variation is what happens in the piano parts. And it's incredible because you have like four pianos on stage, which is pretty exciting just for any for anything. Having that many pianos on one stage is really cool. But um, they're all playing an idea that's just set ever so slightly off from each other. Um, and the effect of it is really, I think, pretty awesome. Um, but it is very hard to lock into place and takes a lot of focus for those piano players. But like I said, kind of that rolling idea that you have these waves almost, I, I think that effect is just really interesting and intriguing. And that's something that's lost in the recorded version of the piece. Uh, should, you know, all three of the pieces we've listened to on this episode are greatly served by hearing live because the physical presence of the sound is is taken uh, uh, into account in the creation of the piece, and there's a, a like a visceral physical thing to being in the same room as that sound. So, like you're talking about the effect with the pianos, this idea of being passed among four pianos, it's spatial as well as you know temporal or well. And that is one really amazing thing about being able to be on the stage hearing this piece in action. It's it, all you, swirling around. Yeah, it, it's yeah. It, the way that it surrounds you kind of ha- gives you a different perspective on the music. So if you do have the chance to hear this live, I highly, highly recommend it. Or you could listen to our or webcast you you, on April twenty fourth, seven thirty p.m. I'm going live though. CSU, I've never heard this live. CSU stand at edu backslash music. You can hear me do a lot of do 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 do. It's pretty exciting. You can hear me do a lot of listening. Ooh. And Dave too. Dave will be there listening. Yeah. Ooh, hardcore listeners. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm. I, I'll be there with bells on, not with literal bells. That would be rude. Because that would be really rude. Yeah. Wait. Wear noisemakers. <laughs> hey. So, so yeah, I hope if, if you're with us and made it to the end of this uh, episode. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, uh, I, and I hope maybe you'll, you'll chase after these three pieces if any of them are new to you and give yourself a new and different kind of listening experience. Uh, but really, you know, we have the internet. Don't be afraid to give yourself some... Everything's new, on YouTube. Some new listening experiences and or Spotify explore. or iTunes. There's or... so much music out there that is so different and will make you think in such different ways and will give you such satisfying experiences, but you just got to open yourself up to them. You just got to be willing to have them. Um, and sometimes that's not always easy. 